upon me, so I'm thankful for that. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Last scripture, moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. I draw my thought out of the verse 6 where it says I am the God of thy father the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob I want to preach to you on this subject tonight the God of Jacob the God of Jacob why don't you lay your Bibles down and uh, why don't we just clap our hands to the Lord and thank him for his presence hallelujah Jesus we worship you we magnify you, Jesus. Holy is the Lamb of God. Praise God. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Amen. They pretty much know me by heart at that Starbucks over there. They know me now. I was talking with a guy named Adrian. I was like, hey, what's going on, Adrian? I've seen him every time I've been there. Like, he's from Hawaii, and we got to chat. And, and uh, Starbucks is like my second home for you, those of you that don't know. And so we were chatting a while and told him about the church. And he's from Hawaii, so he's a, a Tua fan who's a Alabama quarterback. And so I talked to him a little about Tua and said, you know, Tua speaks in tongues, right? He goes, man, I heard that. I was like, yeah, after he, they won that national championship, he got in the mic and said, the only thing that helped my nerves for the national championship was I was speaking in tongues in between snaps. I said, did you hear that? He was like, oh, yeah, I did hear that. I was like, yeah, we speak in tongues at the Capitol Community Church. And See how I connected that? I just... Just reach where he was and be like, doo, 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 doo. and so uh, we made a we made a connection. So follow me on Instagram. So, Amen. That's that's the testimony of a real connection, you know. Getting followed on Instagram, totally kidding, totally kidding. <laughs> the God of Jacob. Jacob had a very interesting beginning because his parents, Isaac and Rebekah, they were married for 20 years and had not born a child. Rebekah was barren for 20 years and finally Isaac summed up the courage to 
entreat the Lord to intercede for his wife. And the Bible says that the Lord was entreated of Isaac and Rebecca conceived. And Rebecca, when Rebecca conceived, uh, she was pregnant with twins and the children uh, struggled within her. And when the children struggled within her, the Bible says that she inquired of the Lord. She wanted to know why this struggle was happening in her womb. And God said that there were two nations in her womb. Now, this is interesting because before Jacob ever comes out of the womb, he's already in a fight. Uh, before he ever takes his first breath, he's already struggling. His whole life would be defined by a struggle. Before he ever takes his first breath, he's already uh, struggling to, to be something and to do something. And it's amazing because after Esau is born, uh, Jacob in the womb unconsciously he reaches up and grabs the heel of his brother because he wants to be born first and unconsciously Jacob wants the birthright before he's even born unconsciously he has a tendency to do the wrong thing before he ever comes out the womb before he ever takes his first breath, he already has a tendency in him that we would find throughout his life to do wrong and, and a tendency to, to want his own thing. And we see this manifested before he ever has the cognitive ability to know what he is doing. His whole life would be defined by a struggle and would be defined by doing the wrong thing. As they begin to grow Esau is a hunter and Jacob is a plain man dwelling in tents. And Jacob is raised in a dysfunctional family because the Bible says that Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. That's dysfunctional when the parents have favorites. Some of y'all looking at me crazy. Well, that's how I was raised. Well, it was dysfunctional. <laughs> Parents had favorites, so Jacob's doing what he can to get his dad's love, and Esau's doing what his can, he can to get mama's love. Dysfunction all across. The Bible says that there came a day that Esau came from the field, and when he came from the field, he was so hungry. The Bible says he came for that same red pottage. Which means that wasn't the first time that Esau came for that red pottage. The Bible says that he came for that same red pottage. This was a habit. This was continually something he did. And Jacob was just watching for an opportunity to take advantage of him. He came for the same red pottage, the Bible says, therefore was his name called Edom. Edom means red. Therefore was his name called Edom. Esau was defined by what he pursued. Notice Esau's descendants would not be called the Esauites. They would be called the Edomites because his whole lineage would be defined by his pursuit. 
Esau reached for the pottage and he became Edom. Jacob reached for the angel and he became Israel. We are defined by what we pursue. We are defined by what we go after and those that come behind us are defined by the pursuits of our lives and their own. And so Jacob, Jacob began to fool, began to fool Esau, began to connive, began to find a way to get advantage of him. And at a moment of Esau being weary and hungry, now he reached for that same red pottage and he became Edom and he sold his birthright right there and Esau did not despise his birthright when he made the sale he sold it but that didn't mean he immediately despised it no Genesis 25 34 would show us when he despised his birthright the Bible says he ate he drank he rose up from the table and he went his way thus Esau despised his birthright. He didn't despise it when he ate it. He didn't despise it when he drank. He didn't despise it when he got up from the table. But when God saw him go his own way, he said, you have despised your birthright. It was as if God was willing to give him a space of repentance while the beans were in his teeth. It was as if God was willing to give him a space of repentance while he was drinking. When he got up from the table, God was still willing to give him a chance to recant, to repent. But when God saw him go in his own direction. He said, you have despised your birthright. What am I saying? It's never too late to make the right decision. It's never too late to do the right thing. It's never too late to get back on track. It's never too late to make a U-turn and say, I don't want to go this way anymore. He, de he despised his birthright and goes in his own way and now, after he despises it, Rebecca hears that Isaac is going to release the blessing on Esau, that firstborn, that beloved child. And so Rebecca and Jacob, they begin to connive a plan together that Isaac might release the blessing on him. And so they, the plan is, why don't you dress up, get, you, get in your brother's clothes and and your brother's hairy, so let's put some goat's hair on you. That had to be a sight. Puts goat's hair on him. And the fool is dad. His dad is old with age and dim with vision. Huh. Can't see well. And Jacob comes to fool him with goat's hair. Now this is interesting because Jacob would fool his father with goat's hair. His sons would later fool him with goat's blood. They put goat's blood on Joseph's coat. Jacob fooled his dad with goat's hair, but his sons later would fool him with goat's blood. What one generation does in moderation, the next generation will do in excess. Jacob just skin the goat his sons would later kill the goat I said what you do now the next generation is going to do more I said if you're carnal now the next generation is going to be more carnal but if you worship now 
The next generation is going to do more worship than you're doing. Huh? Come on, if you praise them now, the next generation is going to do. Come on, somebody. We are paving the way for those that are coming behind us. Come on. And I made up my mind that I'm going to be faithful now. I'm going to worship now. I'm going to be committed now. Because what I do in moderation, the next generation will do exceeding more. So he, he lies and says, hey, I, I, I'm Esau. And he fools his dad into releasing the blessing over him. Releases the blessing over him. Esau comes in later, realizes what happens now. Esau wants to kill his brother. I told you it was a dysfunctional family. When brothers want to kill one another. When it's like it's like you taking a hundred dollars from your brother and your brother says, I'm gonna kill you. Like, whoa man, that's overboard. <laughs> I mean, just give it back to you, hallelujah. So then Esau's no, no, I'm gonna kill you. Uh, this function at its finest and Esau begins to uh, wants to kill Jacob so Jacob leaves he goes to dwell with Laban uh, he goes to dwell with Laban while he's with Laban for 20 years he gets married uh, he has children uh, and now there comes a time where he knows he has to come back uh, and he knows God tells him that to go back to the land of his father uh, and so uh, Jacob begins to make his way back he knows he's going to have to confront Esau on the way while he's on on the way he knows he sends gifts uh, because he's afraid that Esau wants still wants revenge uh, and the Bible says that Jacob sent his family over the Fort Jabbok uh, and Jacob stayed on this side of the river Jabbok uh, and while Jacob was on that side of the river uh, he got alone with God and there was a man that wrestled with him uh, and while they were wrestling the day began to break that angel touched the hollow of his thigh Jacob was limping but he's holding on to that angel that angel says turn me loose for the day breaks and, that, and Jacob says I'm not letting go until you bless me that angel said what's your name Jacob said it's, it's Jacob it's Jacob usurper supplanter liar deceiver that angel said no more shall your name be called Jacob but it's going to be Israel because as a prince you prevail with man and with God and in one single prayer meeting Jacob received an identity change at one single altar call. His history would be forgotten and he would be known as Israel. He would be known as Israel, that blessed people. We know them as the Israelites. Everything beautiful would come out of that nation of Israel. Everything beautiful would come out of that moment, that, that place of blessing where God began to change that man with all of those inadequacies. With all of those failures, God would forever know him as Israel, that blessed nation that was birthed in that prayer meeting. And we see years later, whenever Moses is getting ready to deliver the people of God, God speaks out of the burning bush. And when he speaks, trying to give Moses the task of going to, to, to deliver the nation of Israel, God speaks out of the burning bush and says, I am the God of Abraham. Isaac and Jacob, not Israel, Jacob. <laughs> 
Notice, he didn't say he was the God of Abram. He said, I'm the God of Abraham. I am the God of Abraham's ideal state. My Lord, I'm going to feel like preaching in this place. I'm the God of Abraham's ideal state. And I'm the God of Isaac. But I want you to know that I am still the God of Jacob. I am the God of everything that is wrong with him. I am the God of his process. I am the God of his failures. And I will not abandon him. I will not abandon being his God. What am I saying? He's saying, I know he wasn't perfect. But what I loved about Jacob, that even though he wasn't perfect, he still pursued me. He still came after me. And I am proud. I'm just as proud of being the God of Jacob as I am the God of Israel. And you cannot appreciate me being the God of Israel until you first understand that I will always be the God of Jacob. He said, I'm the God of his process. You just want me to be the God of Israel, the God of the finished product, the God of everything that's right. But I want you to know, I'm just as much the God of when he was stumbling. I would not abandon him. I'm with him in the middle of the process. I'm with him while he's battling, while he's running, while he's fearful. And I'm just as proud to be the God of that process. Some of you come to church and you don't think you would be accepted because you're not Israel yet. You say, let me get my prayer life together. Let me get my worship together first before God can receive me. He says, no, I want to receive you right now. I like you just as you are, Jacob. And I'm just as much your God now as you are. I, I am the God of his process. I am the God of his process. You cannot understand me being the God of Israel until you first embrace me being the God of Jacob. Some of you come to church and you say, no, God, don't speak to me. I'm still in the process. I'm still battling. I'm still struggling. I'm still dealing with things in God. You hide from the presence of God because you know you're not Israel yet. You're waiting for you to become Israel before you approach the throne of grace boldly and every time there's an altar call you feel condemned for being Jacob being a battle being in a battle still struggling with that sinful nature and so you kind of back up you don't really want to go up front and pray because you know that you're Jacob you know that you still have issues in your life and you tried to hide away and say wait wait till I get it perfect as a matter of fact I don't really want to get involved because I'm still battling with some issues in my life but he says you'll never understand me being the God of your ideal state until you first embrace me as the God of your process as the God of what's wrong with you just as much as what is right with you God had to reveal himself to Moses as the God of Jacob because he understood if he said he was the 
God of Israel, Moses would fearfully run from the task. But whenever he said Jacob, all of a sudden a courage came into the heart of Moses. They said, if you did it for Jacob, maybe, just maybe, you can do it in me too. Come on, somebody. There's hope for everybody here. There's hope for everybody here. And he's proud to be the God of your process. Oh, can you clap your hands to the Lord for a moment? That's why the psalmist said, I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. That's why the psalmist said, I will defend the God of of Jacob, my Lord, uh, can I tell you, uh, can I tell you it takes a lot of courage uh, when you're still battling and in a process uh, to still come up, come to church uh, and worship with a smile on your face. I'm sorry, uh, the process has taken a few of your joy. Uh, your joy has been gone because uh, you know you're not in the ideal situation uh, that you would like to be in. Come on, somebody. Uh, and you've been afraid to approach God's throne because uh, you know your prayer life isn't just right you know that you're still battling with some issues in your family and you think that God would come and condemn you for not being Israel no God's arms are open to you and he's saying come on here Jacob I love you unconditionally I love you with all of your flaws I love you with all of your inadequacies and I will not judge you when you come into my presence I will just wrap you up and say Jacob I'm just happy that you're here I said God isn't a God of conditional love in your family you had to get an education to be accepted in your family you had to get a job before you would be received you were raised in a house with conditional love. And it has disfigured your view of God. Wow, he commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. He looked at every person in this building and he saw the worst you. And he said, that is worth dying for. He saw the worst you. He said, that's worth dying for. And you have the audacity to come in here and walk around here with guilt. It's a miracle you're even in God's presence. You walk around and hear guilty. Filled with condemnation. Afraid to pray, afraid to draw near to him for fear that he's going to slap you. When he saw the worst you, and you still, with all your junk, with all of your history, with all your past, you still stumbled into the presence of God. You think he's going to push you away? No, it's an unconditional God. Unconditional loving God that says, come on here, Jacob. 
Come on here. I love you. I love you and I accept you. I love you unconditionally. That's why I thank God the Bible says that the Holy Ghost is a comforter. That word comforter, the Greek word is paraclete, which literally means the divine presence coming alongside to help you. In other words, God doesn't stand above you when when you fall no he falls with you and he comes alongside you and says come on here Jacob let's go back up here and if you fall again he doesn't stay up there and can know he comes right down into your valley he comes right down into your hurts and he come on we can get this together Jacob you're gonna become Israel but I'm gonna walk with you in the process if you let me Uh, he said, I'm not afraid to be the God of Jacob. No, no. In that moment, can you, can you allow him to be your God in that moment? Or will you just keep running from his presence until you've become Israel? Whew. I'm talking to somebody in this building. Can, can, you, can you embrace him in the midst of your unworthiness? Can, can you let him be your God right there? Or will you just keep putting him off? Say, like, oh, wait, wait, wait till I get it together. Then I'll be involved. I'll be involved, Pastor Wilbur. I'll be involved, Pastor, Pastor Lehman. No, 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 no. Just, 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 just wait till I get the family together. Just, just, just wait till I get this right. We're, we're battling right now. Come on. If you don't embrace him now, you may not ever embrace him later. You got to learn to embrace him in the midst of the darkness. You got to learn to embrace him in the midst of the struggle. You got to learn to embrace him right there. Jesus, God in the flesh, the fullness of the Godhead bodily, dwelling in the man Christ Jesus. To wit, God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached to the Gentiles, received up into glory. God was manifested in the flesh. The fullness of God came in the flesh for one reason. That was to die and destroy the works of the devil. He had one purpose. That was to die. Yet we see God wrestling and struggling with his flesh. I said the fullness of God struggled with his flesh. I said the fullness of God had to pray three times to get his flesh under subjection. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. I said that was all of God. And he had to pray three times to get his flesh under subjection. You don't have the fullness of God in you. No one here is fully God and fully man. You have the Holy Ghost that is the earnest of our inheritance, the earnest, the down payment, the down payment of heaven. You got a piece of heaven in you, not all of it. Yet you give up on yourself when you struggle with the same situation three times.
I said, you don't have the fullness like Jesus had it. You just got a piece of it. Yet, if you're dealing with the same situation three times, you disqualify yourself. I'm trying to tell you, God is more merciful to you than you realize. Am I talking to anybody in this building right now? That's why he came to be touched with the feeling of your infirmities. He wanted to feel the depression that you felt. He wanted to feel the anxiety that you felt. He wanted to feel the heartache that you felt. He wanted to be touched with it. He was tempted at all points as we were, yet without sin. I said he felt it. That's why he could be merciful to you. Come on. And if he struggled, he's going to be merciful to you when you struggle. I wish somebody would clap their hands in this house. Hallelujah. Oh, I got to bring you out something interesting in the text. I want to show you how merciful God is. Who I feel revelation beginning to flow in this building. Notice we all condemn the disciples in Matthew 17, 21. Because the disciples, they could not cast out that demon possessed boy. And we all condemned them because Jesus told them in Matthew 17, 21, he said, this kind cometh not out, but by prayer and fasting. And we all condemn the disciples because of their lack of perceived prayer and their lack of perceived sacrifice. We condemned them, but that wasn't God's intention of saying this. You got to look at the previous chapters. That's in Matthew 17. You got to look in Matthew 9. Look at this. Matthew chapter 9 verse 14. Look at this. Then came to him the disciples of John saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but thy disciples fast not? And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then shall they fast. He commands them not to fast until he dies, is buried, rises again, and ascends into heaven. He commanded them not to fast yet. Eight chapters later, when they face a situation, the first thing he says is, this kind cometh not out but by prayer and fasting. The disciples are like. (laughs) And remember that they had already cast out devils without fasting. He sent them out two by two. Remember that. Look what God did. God allowed their failure to teach them 
how to operate in their future. He allowed the failure to teach them on what to do after the day of Pentecost. Because they're not supposed to fast until after he ascends. So he allowed the failure to teach them a lesson. When you meet this type of situation, go into prayer and fasting. But I allow the failure to teach you. I factored your failure into your future. I allowed the stumbling block because I knew the stumbling block would lead you into my presence. He commanded them not to fast. Then he says, and they were already casting out devils, but he allowed that word, he, he commissioned them to go cast out devils, but he allowed that word to help them to a point. Then he allowed that word to stop right before this moment because he says, I'm going to allow them to fail so I could teach them because they'll be better after this failure. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? I said, God, it's not intimidated by your process. He loves it. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he leaves the 99 in the wilderness to go find the one. That wilderness is process, correct? The Bible says he leaves the congregation in the wilderness to go after the one. Now, here's my question. Where did the one run off to? you got to look what the gospel writer said. He says, he goeth into the mountains to find the one. The one got lost when it tried to escape process. The one got lost when it tried to escape the wilderness and go straight to the mountain of success. He tried to skip the process and go straight to the ideal state. I said the process is just as important as the destination. You cannot value the destination if you don't endure the process. You cannot value the promise unless you first endure the wilderness. Let him be the God of your wilderness. I'm ministering to people in this building. The call of God is like being at the top of the mountain. You're at the bottom of the mountain. You're at the bottom, at the base of the mountain. You've never started the journey yet. But the call, the promise, destiny is at the top of the mountain and you want to go up there but you look all around you and you have all of this baggage and every Sunday you come to church and you look up at the mountain but Monday you look down at the baggage and you're scared to start the journey because of all of this baggage around you but when you Take, start taking steps towards 
the peak of that mountain, toward the call, towards the destiny, towards promise. All of a sudden, you got all this baggage, but as you start the journey over time, you're going to have to make a decision. You can't take another step until you let go of some of this baggage. So you cut off some of the baggage. You start the journey again. You're trying to get to the call, the promise, your destiny. As you're walking, all of a sudden, you reach another point. If you're going to take another step forward, you're going to have to cut some more of this baggage. You cut some more. Then you start the journey again, and you keep going. Then all of a sudden, you reach another stage that if you're going to take another step, you're going to have to cut some of this baggage. What am I saying? The call of God will sanctify you in your pursuit. He will sanctify you in the process of where you're headed. Is this making sense? But when you're persuaded of what's coming, it'll start shedding off things in your life that'll prevent you from getting there. But some of you don't even want to start the journey because you say, let me get rid of this baggage first. But you never get the motivation to let go of the baggage until you start walking. Because if you start walking, the call will start sanctifying you and conforming you into what he wants you to be. Think about whenever. Wave a hand if I'm helping somebody in this building. I'm. Think about whenever I first got saved and whenever I came to church. And when I came to church, do you know what I walked into those doors with? Boy, y'all not hearing me out here. Uh, I had a tank top on. I had a goatee. Y'all not hearing me out here. I'm telling I had a goatee on. I had these big diamond earrings in both ears. I had Jordan shorts on, Jordan slippers, Jordan socks with a Jordan headband. And on top of all that, I had a Jesus peace medallion. <laughs> Spent all of my financial aid on that thing. Had diamonds in the crown of thorns. I was bling bling. I get the Holy Ghost. I get born again of the water and of the spirit. Within eight weeks of being in church, I start teaching Bible studies. I was going to four to five Bible studies a week. And the eighth week, I said, you know what? I'm ready to teach my own Bible study. I started teaching Bible studies on the campus, 15 to 20 people in my dorm room, teaching international students. I had the church bus coming to the campus, picking up 20 to 25 basketball players and coaches to come and bring them to church. I had three rows reserved for just people from the college. Didn't feel called to the ministry. I mean, I mean, look at me. I'm, uh, who, who do I think I am? I'm just trying to reach souls. But then all of a sudden, God called me into the ministry. 
This boy that, that was raised in a dysfunctional home, this boy that was abused, this boy that couldn't speak for the first five years of his life because I was beaten for the first five years of my life. I babbled at five years old. My mom had to send me to a speech therapist for a year in kindergarten to teach me how to talk because of the abuse, because of the trauma that I had endured. I still babble for the first five years of my life. If you notice, I don't have, I was born and raised in Louisiana for 18 years. I don't have a Louisiana accent because I have taken on the traits of that speech therapist that taught me at five years old for a year. That dysfunctional boy that just got saved, got all of that jewelry on. God says, I am calling you to the ministry. Hold on, God, I'm, I'm Jacob. But you know what I did? I said, I don't understand this, but I just started the journey with all of this baggage, with all of this rough history, with all of these problems. I just started the journey, and over time, as I'm walking, all of a sudden, I don't really need these. You know what? I don't really need this chain. I, don't, I wonder what I look like with a suit on. If I look at the baggage and I never start the journey, would I be here today? But I just started walking. And I remember when I put on that suit, it's a navy blue suit. I put it on and I looked in the mirror and I still had that goatee. And I said, I wonder what would happen. <laughs> so I took a little shave, a little razor, put it under some hot water, no soap, <laughs> no shaving cream. I said, Then after I was done, I was like, I look like a baby. <laughs> I text my friend. I said, bro, are you going to be at church tonight? He said, yeah. I said, bro, I'm going to make you laugh. <laughs> I came to church. I walked in. He started rolling laughing. Then the next day, I had like zits all over my face. And I was like, oh, that's what shaving cream is for. <laughs> well, it wasn't perfect, but I just allowed him to be the God of where I am now. I, I, I'm still not where he's calling me to be. I'm still on the journey. But as I started the journey, he began to shed off those dysfunctional traits that I developed from the abuse. He began to shed it off of me. The baggage had begun to fall as I began to pursue. What am I saying? You just have to learn to just get on the journey. Let him be the God of your process. Let him be the God of your struggles. Let him be the God of your failures. Let him be the God of where you are now because you will be able to appreciate him being the God of where you're going. Can you clap your hands to the Lord for a moment? I, uh, 
Hebrews 12 and 1. Hebrews 12 and 1. I want to bring, I want to bring this home to you. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Hold that scripture there. Huh. He said, lay aside every weight. Catch this. Remember, Paul is alluding to a Roman race. The writer of Hebrews is alluding to a Roman race, the Olympics. And every Roman runner prepared for the race the same way. They would hold three pound weights in each hand. And they would run in training for those Olympics. You could not have those weights in your hand when the race started. Those weights for months, they would run with weights in each hand. These runners, if you look at the Greek word weight and you go to it, it literally means to bend the arm. It was for weight training. I feel like talking to somebody right now. And so those weights were weights of preparation that every runner ran with. Those were weights of preparation. And Paul says, it's time to lay aside the weights of preparation. And get in the race. Aristotle said overtraining is an evil thing. So overprepare is evil. He said, Brother Jackson, I don't want to get in the race until I get perfect. I got to keep on preparing. Wait, let me pray more. Let me study more before God uses me. Let me, let me keep on preparing. Paul said, lay aside the weights of preparation. You're ready. Can I tell you, perfectionism is the enemy of obedience. I don't want to get in the race until I do it perfect. That's why Paul said, run this race with patience. Meaning you're not going to be perfect. There's going to be stumbling blocks, but at least you're in the race. But you keep on delaying. No, no, I don't want to be used by God yet until I just get it just right. Am I talking to somebody in this building? You're afraid of failure. You got a fear of failure. When you got a fear of failure, you always want to get everything perfect. And you delay your obedience to God. Paul said, you're ready. Just put the weights down. Hey, you're in 200 church services a year. You're ready. Amen. Hello? Hello, you've been in more altar calls than more than half of this world. And, and you still don't feel ready? And you think God's just going to allow you to fail to expose you to the world as a fraud? Where'd you get those thoughts? Man, I'm ministering to you in the Holy Ghost. 
because your walk with God has become performance-based. Jesus, he's 30 years old. He gets baptized by John, and the first words from the Father is, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hold on one second. Jesus hadn't healed anybody yet. He hadn't opened a blinded eye yet. He hadn't unstopped a deaf ear yet. He hadn't died for anybody yet. Yet the Father said, I'm pleased with you because my pleasure in you is not determined by your performance. It's determined by your relationship. You're my son, even though you haven't done anything yet. You can't earn the love of God. I don't care how much you pray. I don't care how much you fast. You can't earn his love. I don't care how faithful you are. You can't earn the love of God. It's unconditional. Yeah. And he says, you're my daughter. You're my son. I love you. And I'm pleased with you even though you're not Israel yet. I'm pleased with you that you're on the journey. I want everybody to stand with me. Hallelujah to God. Musicians can come. Yeah. Ooh, man, what a I feel like the word is just on surgery tonight. I feel like the word just reached in right in right into your spirit it's the hallelujah I, let me tell you how real this is I remember when I was a child and my stepdad, it was very common for me to be beaten and I was afraid to mess up because if I messed up, that meant dad was going to beat me. I made straight A's in school. But if I made a C on an assignment, I could expect blows to my face when I got home. I believe he must have suffered from PTSD from the time that he was in the army. I believe he was in the Persian Gulf War. And I remember He would make sure I folded these clothes just perfect. The lines had to touch. Everything had to touch perfectly. And he'd send me up to my room. He said, I want every one of those clothes done perfectly. And if it's not perfect, when I come back up, I'm going to beat you. Him and the family would be downstairs watching family movies, and I'd be locked in my room for hours trying to make sure every line touched everything was perfect because I knew if I didn't get it right I was going to get beat again it was often that I'd have bruises all over my body 
about three o'clock in the morning, I finally called down the stairs, Daddy, I, I think I got it perfect. He come up, he said, boy, it better be perfect or I'm going to beat you. He come up and he'd inspect. He'd find the flaw. He threw down all the clothes. He said, come here, boy. Then he'd beat me again. Then he'd send me to the closet. You stay in that closet. All the family together. Very common for me to be locked in the storage closet. I'd have to sleep on dusty boxes, trying to find a comfortable way to fall asleep. I felt like I deserved it because I wasn't perfect. So when I got saved, that perfectionism tendency was in me. I felt like if I missed a day of prayer that God was going to kill me. God was going to judge me if I missed time with him. God was going to expose me before the world if I, if, I, if I didn't pray long enough. I remember when I first started evangelizing, I was so afraid to have fun. I felt like God would only protect me if I just went and preached and did his mission. But if I went off to sightsee, I thought I would die of a car wreck. I'm not exaggerating. I thought I would die of a car wreck because I wasn't doing his will perfectly. So they'd say I was in Alaska. They'd be like, hey, Mount Denali's an hour away. You want to come see it? I said, no, no. I'd stay in my room and pray and study and fast because I thought to myself, if I go up there, I'm going to die in a car wreck because I'm not doing God's will perfectly. I can't have fun. I've got to do it perfectly then God began to show me his unconditional love that he wanted me to have abundant life that it's okay for his son to have fun and smile in his presence That it's okay not to, not to be perfect because he loves me just the same. And it's his love that is supposed to persuade me to do more, not guilt. It's his love that must fuel you to be more, not condemnation. All of a sudden, I remember that first day, I said, hey, you want to come sightsee? I was a little nervous and I, I said, yeah, let me, let's go see it. Let's go do it. God's like, I'm pleased with you, son. Wow. You are the God of Jacob. <laughs> you know, I'm not perfect, right? You know, you know, I didn't study as long as I wanted to, God. You know, I, I only studied two hours, and I know I was supposed to do four or five. And you sure you can still use me? I love you, son. I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm just asking you to be mine. There are people here that have been paralyzed 
about perfectionism. Perfectionism breeds procrastination because you don't want to get started unless it's going to be just right. And God is asking you, let me be the God of Jacob right now. Put the weights down. I'm not asking you to carry that anymore. You're ready. Get in the race. Let me be your guide. Let me be your comforter. Let me be your love. I want you to step out of your seat right now. Come in as close as you can. Everyone from the front to the back. Just lift up your hands when you come forward. Come on. That's it. From the front to the back. Make your way forward. Come on, Jacob, and just come receive the love of God. I I know you don't feel you deserve it, but he loves you just the same. Step out of that seat. That's it. From the front to the back. Every guest, every visitor, every elder, every young person. That's it. That's it. Move up here and just lift up those hands. He loves you. He loves you. I said he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. It's an unconditional love. He loves you. He loves you with the tenacity. He loves you. He loves you. He's not come to judge you tonight. He's not come to beat you up tonight. He has come to wrap his arms around you. He said, it's my love that's going to change you. Not, not your perfectionist tendencies. Not, not your guilt. Not your condemnation. I, I love you. Can you lift up your hands and allow the love of God to flow on you right now? Hamashikababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababab